Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show men that they're fasting I tell you the truth they have received their reward in full but when you fast put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done is in secret will reward you. Let's pray once more. Father, we again ask that you'll help us to understand and rightly apply your word to our lives. There are always many, many different applications that we can get from your word. And there's no way that any one person can fully apply your word to to all of our lives in the different ways. But your word is always true and unchanging in what it means. So help us to understand what it means and also to understand how it will apply to our lives in a number of different ways and in some of the same ways in these areas that are being focused on and and that Christ is teaching us about. I ask these things in his name. Amen. Well... Um, Just to kind of give a a brief introduction again, this section is being considered um, under the heading of true religion, right? True religion. And so the first thing that we are focusing on is verses 1 through 4. And Jesus in these verses, in a sense, is pointing out that just doing something like giving to people in need in and of itself is actually not necessarily a good thing. He's not saying it's bad to give to people in need. But what he's getting at is that those of us who are his followers, his disciples, are to do more than just give to the needy. That he's trying to, again, shape his people by shaping our hearts. Like like that song we were singing before, change my heart, O God. This is what God is seeking to do all the time throughout His 
his, his covenant people's lives, to, to change our hearts, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds is his purpose in salvation. And so let's, let's look at this. Verse 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So he's pointing out here that we will do good deeds. We will do acts of righteousness in, in the sight of people. But what is our motivation? In our hearts, do we like to be seen? Are we trying to be seen? Are we seeking the, the praise of men? If that is the case, we've received our reward once we've finished speaking. If the purpose that someone comes up and preaches a sermon is to be seen and heard, well then after I go home, my reward is done. <laughs> That's an insufficient reason to do anything for God. It also, what Jesus is doing here is cutting at the heart of what you could call traditionalism, right? So let's say that Christmas is approaching. Well, immediately what goes on in our minds is that, well, it's Christmas. So we have to do this and that. We have to dress up the church building in a certain way. We have to make sure that we have a separate bucket to give to people because it's Christmas. And we've got to take pictures when we do things like this too to make sure that it's recorded. All of these things which can sometimes fall into traditionalism, can become dead religion and not true religion if our hearts are not in the right place. And so Jesus is saying, be careful. Not don't do it, but be careful. Be careful, especially in an age where we have Facebook, when people can look at our good deeds and click like or click love on a picture or video of something we've done. You keep looking back on that page. How many likes do you see there? How many loves do you see? Why does this person have a, I don't like thumb showing? <gasps> oh no, I don't feel good about this good deed that I've done anymore. Ever struggled with that? Ever had that happen? I think I've heard of most of us talk like that in this building and many people that I know as well. It's one of the temptations that exists in every age, but it's almost been expanded in this particular age with things like social media. And so Jesus is saying, you should be a people who give to the needy. Notice in verse 2 he says, when. So he says in each of these, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Hmm. He doesn't say if you do these things. So there's an assumption in Jesus' teaching. Jesus is not giving room for the possibility that we can choose to not do these good deeds. But again, he's cutting to the heart. What does it look like to do these things in a way that glorifies God? Notice that in each of these sections, we see this phrase, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you who sees what is done in secret in fact when we get down to the section about prayer or rather fasting in, in the final verse I just read in verse 18 it says who is unseen your father who is unseen this is 
a reference to the fact that, first of all, God to the naked, to the, no- the normal, natural eyes is unseen for the simple reason that we cannot behold His glory in its fullness. Even before sin had entered in the Garden of Eden, we have no evidence that they could stare into the face of God and survive. He is far too glorious for His creatures to behold. In fact, creatures that have no sin, like the cherubim and angels, we're told in the Bible that there's cherubim who are always singing holy, holy, holy to God. You can find that in places like Isaiah 6 and Revelation. And we're told that they have six wings. Two of those wings fly and keep them from off the ground because even the ground of God is too holy for them. Two other wings are to keep them in the air. And the other two wings are to cover their eyes so that they do not look upon His wonder, His splendor, His glory. So all of these acts, anything that falls into the category of religion or worship, begins with the character of the God who is unseen. But also when he says, your Father who is in secret in each of these sections, he's getting to another reality that God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. So God is in your secret closet. Maybe you have an actual place in your house that you like to go and do your devotions and prayers. Wherever that place is, and even in the privacy of your home, God is there just as much as He is present here this morning. And that is important. Jesus is showing us that true acts of worship are not are not just in worship services, if we call it that, a worship service. It's not just in the worship service that we can truly worship God. And that our religion should extend beyond that. It starts in the secret places and it comes into the public realm. So Jesus is not saying there's actually anything wrong with giving publicly. Or praying publicly. Or fasting but he's getting to what the heart of the matter is. Notice there in the, in the first section again, he says, when, in verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. What he's getting at there in that verse, in the following verse, is that there's a sense in which when you prepare to give, when we prepare to give, whether it's a couple of dollars in the offering plate, or a larger portion in the offering plate, or a secret transaction to the church account, or a big check that has pictures taken, whatever it might be, before we prepare to give, whether it's to a church, to a ministry, to, to a government um, branch of some sort, or whether it's to an individual or to a family in need in private, whenever we prepare to give, our attitude should be in the right place. We shouldn't be trying to hold together our hands to show what we're about to do. There's a sense in which we should be so careful that he's, he's using this metaphor, not even your right hand should know what your left hand is doing. That's how careful you should be to guard your heart's attitude. Um, obviously, if you're trying to, to, to literally apply that, it would be kind of confusing to get anything done, right? Because your hands have to work together. But he's using metaphorical 
um, pictorial language there. And when it comes down to prayer, notice what he says in the second section of prayer. Do not be like the hypocrites. Notice he doesn't say like the Pharisees, right? We tend to think, and, and I've said it a few times recently, that the primary focus that he has, the primary people he's applying these things to it in terms of the wrong way to do stuff is the Pharisees. But that's not because they were the only people doing things in the wrong way. It's just that they were the people who were holding the word of God, the word of life, and misapplying and completely missing the, the essence of what they were supposed to be teaching. And so he doesn't, he doesn't just limit it to Pharisees here. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Just think about what a waste of time it would be if your only purpose carrying out any of these religious activities was to be seen by men. It is an impossible task to live to please man. Because on the, on the, on the left side of, of one building may be an entire group who says, things should be done this way. And by the time you finish pleasing the group on the left, the group on the right says, you did it all wrong and things should be done that way. And so when you stop doing that, you just live in this constant tug of war, right? Prayer, likewise, is a very important and intimate act of spiritual worship. And here I, I want to take a little bit more time to get us thinking about this. What is prayer? Prayer is, if you will, it, it's like the second wing of the entire Christian life. If you think of the Christian life as a flight through this world and into the next, there are two wings that keep you up. Because you know what happens if a plane has one ring, wing, right? Spiral and crash and blow up or sink into the ocean. You need two wings. The first wing is this, prayer. And I'm not saying that this is the order necessarily. The second wing is the Word of God. It is Scripture. And the whole of the Christian life is like an ongoing communion with God, which is a, a more old-fashioned way of using the word relationship. And here, here I want to deal with a, a false... There's two false statements that are very popular today that I want to dispel and throw in the garbage for all of us. The first one is this. Christianity is not about religion. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Heard that before? You know where you won't find that? In the Bible. Let me say that again. Christianity, this is the statement that's made often. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. Maybe it'll sound nicer if you put that on the end, right? But you don't find that in the Bible. Here's the reality that Jesus is trying to help people understand, which is seen throughout the entire Bible. Having a relationship with God, which only happens through faith in His revealed Word, leads to something else. 
Is there any person in the Bible who enters into covenant relationship with God through faith that does not have a relationship with someone else? No. Because when you have a relationship with God, you have a relationship with His people. Jesus did not just die for you individually or me individually. He died for whosoever will believe in Him. And that is the title of the new covenant and the kingdom of God throughout the ages all the way back to Adam and anyone who's believed. Everyone fits into this category who is called the kingdom of God. Right? Jesus has bought us with His precious blood and this is an important thing because along with this community that he has pro pro um, provided his life for, something else comes. There are commands for how we are to live which shape our life. Right? So what is that? That's called religion. God defines how we are to live as single men or single women, as married men and married women as fathers, as mothers. And the outworking of obedience to these revealed truths is what you could simply call religion. So here's what you have to think about. And I, and I have many scriptures I could help you think about, but I'm just going to simplify and, and end this point with saying this. The idea that Christianity is not about religion, it's about a relationship, is a contradiction. And it is a foolish statement. Christianity is about a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, which leads to a which comes with a relationship to everyone else who's who's a believer, and all of us are called to live a life of obedience to His Word, which is defined as religion. It's about religion and relationship. You see, you see what I'm saying? This is what the the Christian faith is about. But this aspect of prayer. Coming back to that, it, it's part of an ongoing communication. People say that the main thing that you need in a good relationship is communication. I know we've all heard that. Now, if a husband comes home to their wife at the end of the day, walks through the door, shuts the door, looks at the wife, looks away, and goes and turns on the TV waiting for dinner to be ready. Just painting a picture here. That's a bad relationship. If that happened for years and years and years and years, and the poor wife decided to stay with him, hopefully, do you think that they would define that as a good relationship? No. Because communication and care which is expressed through communication and love and all those things which is expressed through communication is essential to a healthy, thriving relationship. So here's the, here's, here's the second wing, the Word of God. The Word of God, which is the foundation of this relationship, right? It, it's God's way of speaking to us. I want to get, I want, I want this to be abundantly clear. God speaks to anyone today through His Word. Long ago, at many times, and in various different ways, 
God spoke to his covenant community of which was larger than the Cayman Islands in population through a handful of individuals named the prophets. What I just described for you is an extrapolation of the words of Hebrews 1, 1, which says long ago at many times and in various different ways, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken through his son. That's Hebrews 1, 1 and part of verse 2. So he's saying to us, it's always been by his word in the appointed way that, that his word comes to us that he speaks. So God in this relationship, this Christian relationship, God speaks to his people through his word. So if you want to hear the voice of God, if you want to hear the voice of God today, read your Bibles out loud. It'll sound different for all of us because we all have our own voices. But if you want to hear God speak in an audible sense, read your Bible out loud. Because that's His way of communicating to us. So how do we communicate to Him in this thing that's called prayer? We don't want to be like hypocrites who love to be heard and love to be seen praying. Um, in the Jewish culture at this time, there would have been at least three different points in the day for prayer. And this is a, a little concept that the, the Muslims stole from the Jews. And they have their appointed times too. Sorry if that sounds a bit brass, but that's the reality. All false religions take something of the true religion, which is founded by God's word, and at this time had been the, the covenant with Israel, and now is the new covenant in Christ. But all false religions take little pieces of true religion and, and form their false religions. Prayer is us speaking to God. And there's a sense in which even though we don't hear voices coming from heaven, right? Just like when, when he spoke from heaven once or two, two or three times actually in Jesus' life, People who were there heard an audible voice that said things like this. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Aside from the words and the meaning, just think about that. This was not a, a little voice in their heads, but an audible voice. Just like how you can hear my voice now. When Jesus was baptized and commissioned into ministry, the voice of the Father spoke audibly. So when we pray to God, while we will not hear that, and while we may think that we hear His voice sometimes in our minds, what is actually happening is that it's primarily about us speaking to Him and also communing with Him and being in His presence. And there's a sense here in which Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't pray publicly. In fact, He commends, and His disciples later commend in the, the New Testament writings, that we meet together for prayer as some of us do on Wednesday nights in this building and pray together and study the Bible together. These things are commended for us to do as His believing covenant people. And there's a sense in which we can experience His presence in a way that we, we don't when we're alone, even though it's a real presence. And we're, we're really speaking to Him in prayer if our heart is in the right place. 
So Jesus says in verse 6, When you pray, again, when, when, not if, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. See, even, even though this phrase, do not, is, is not in the form of thou shalt not, like the Ten Commandments, this is the Lord of Lords who is basically giving us commands for how we are to live out our faith and, and be religious, how, how our religiosity should look, how our faith should be lived out. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, there is an instance that you can find in, in 1 Kings uh, 18. I think it was... Actually, turn back there with me for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. And this would possibly be a familiar historical account for some of us. Is it first? Yeah, First Kings. Oh, excuse me. It's not First Kings. I thought it was First Kings. Is it Second Kings? Well, that's a good example of why you should write things down. There was once an instance that is in Scripture in one of those, one of those books where we have um, the prophets of Baal, of Baal gathered against God's prophet. And he says, here's how we're going to test to see who the real God is today. Build this altar and put as much water as you can on the dead animals, on the wood, and all around it. And the true God will send down fire from heaven. And he stood there by himself and he said, Okay, go. And they went all the way from morning until noon, crying out, crying out, send down your fire to their false god. And then at noon he started to mock them. <laughs> he said, Oh, maybe he's asleep. Or maybe he's off doing something else. Maybe if you shout louder, then he'll send down fire. Try it out. And they got so frustrated, they started, the false prophets started to cut themselves. They started kind of going crazy. Send down fire. And it didn't work. First Kings 18. Okay. It is First Kings 18. Okay. 16. Yeah. Thank you very much, sister. But you, we can just look at, start in verse 26. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Well, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy. Or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. And must be awakened. 
So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. This is what he said. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will not know, sorry, that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, Yahweh, He is God. Yahweh, He is God. You see, what you see right there in that prayer is that true prayer always begins, as I mentioned, with the character of who God is. He, he makes reference to God's covenants throughout the ages, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, etc. True prayer begins with who God is. And I, I want to say this as a caution. There's a lot of so-called Christianity that looks like that pagan ritual. People going around in, in madness... You know, maybe they're not slashing themselves, but they're making all kind of claims that they're drunk in the spirit. You see a man, instead of standing here like I'm doing, trying to teach the Bible, saying to one part of the crowd, just like that. No one has a clue, even the person, what they're saying. And then they just put their hand out and half the crowd goes down and they call it being drunk in the spirit and being slain in the spirit. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. So it's saying drunkenness is bad, but be filled with the Spirit. So this is important for all of us, children, you as well, to think about this. Anytime you see someone saying that they're worshiping or they're saying something true about God, if there's not a sense of order with it, and if there's a sense of almost madness, that's not true worship. But the heart of true worship includes true prayer in which we are speaking to God. We don't need to babble like pagans. 
We don't need to have long robes and nice posture and speak as if we are basically in the tongue of the King James Version. We don't need to repeat Father a hundred times. Oh Father, oh Father, oh Father. Our heart needs to know who this God is and to say to Him, Father, and to speak to Him. You're not speaking for anyone when you pray to God. True prayer is people of faith speaking to the true God. And this is the reason that some people, myself included, make decisions not to read designed prayers on behalf of anyone, even if it's the King of England. Because when I pray, I am speaking to the God of the universe and I will not be told what to say. Prayer must come from the heart. So, true prayer is like that. Secondly, this is a, a sense in which we must understand that we, we don't go into prayer thoughtlessly. And last, look at the, the structure of prayer that Jesus gives us here. It says, this then is how you should pray. Now, we often pray this prayer word for word, verbatim. Our Father who art in heaven. And we've memorized it, right? And that's important. But he's not saying that we are to repeat word for word this prayer. The command here is the, the nature in which our prayer should be structured. First of all, it's focused on our Father in heaven. The Father, he says, our Father, which is a reference to a covenant relationship. This is not something that everyone is, is part of, but those who are believers can call God their Father. And when he says, hallowed be your name, what he means is this. Our first petition in prayer should be that our hearts are seeking to see the glory of God. Our hearts are seeking to see that His name is held in highest honor. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the purpose of all Jesus' teaching. His, his ministry, His example. That God's kingdom through faith, through the believer's faith, is being established here on earth as it is in heaven. And again, this can only happen according to His Word. This is the Word of God from heaven to earth to tell us who He is, how we are to live our lives, who we are to be, and how we are to shape ourselves. And we'll come back to this again. This is more of an introductory. Um, but fasting, finally. When you fast, now this is challenging, not if you fast, when. Now, one of the things we do when we come to challenging texts is say, well, let's talk about 10 things that this doesn't mean first before we get into what it does mean. Well, what this means is we should fast. And if you have some sort of disease or, or some inability to actually go without food and water, that's a unique situation. And you should see what you can do in that case. But there's many things we can fast from. But the, the, the purpose of this is that in fasting, we are prayerfully looking to God in dependence to be strengthened by Him to prove that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And to, to have particular things on our hearts and minds that we're seeking God for. So when we fast, don't be gloomy about it. 
because God's joy and peace can be found even in the midst of a lack of food and water and drink. What we do, whether in secret, in, in complete secrecy, or just a bit of privacy, or in a public setting like this, or in greater public settings. Remember, Jesus gave to the poor in the public. He healed the poor and the needy. He prayed in public, and he even fasted in a way that people knew what was happening. When we do these things, we are doing acts of worship. And Jesus is seeking here to see that our hearts are in the right place. True religion is what he's seeking here. Christianity is about a true relationship with God that displays itself in a true religion. And that is the only thing that can have any positive impact on the world around us. The last, along with that, the last thing I want to dispel is this notion that perhaps you've heard this saying, you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. You know where you won't find that? In the Bible. Because Jesus here is the epitome of a man who was heavenly minded and only through that was he of any earthly good. You can definitely be so earthly minded that you're of no eternal good. That's true. But, and, and sometimes you can go and lock away and try to study your Bible and do things and be completely useless to people in other ways. But the key here is at the heart of this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the direction of the Christian focus and life. That is what he is seeking to do here, to have a people who have a relationship with God, a religion for God, and that we would become people who are so heavenly minded that we are of earthly and eternal good. And on that note, I'm going to just read quickly two verses because I can hear it's coming down and I can feel I can feel the same thing you're all feeling Romans 12 therefore verse 1 and 2 I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we'll come back to this again soon. I'll close with that for today. Father, we, we thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that you have taken the time to, through your son, show us what it looks like to be a people of uh, true religious affections. Help us to have hearts that are shaped by this truth so that we, we not only have a true relationship with you that is, is lived out, but we live out a true religion that can do great things in this world around us as Christ himself did. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you not only clear up the, the false ideas about some of these matters, but you, you embody the truth and that you have lived fulfilling the law, dying in our place, and that you continue not just in your resurrection, but in your ascension and in your rule now in our hearts. You, you continue to, to grant this true relationship 
So help us to find peace in the midst of this rest of this day and this storm. Um, Keep us safe as we leave this building, please. And we ask that you protect us from any severe damage and death especially. But help us not to be a people who are of little faith, but are moved by a confident faith in you and your sovereign goodness. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.